We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Man, happy, happy Sunday to everybody out there. This is Charles Cole from the Eight Black Hands. I'm here with these amazing, amazing gentlemen, man. How you all doing today, man? Doing well, bro. Good to see you. Excited about tonight's show. Um, it's a good week, man. Good uh, time with family. Good weekend, I should say. Good time with family and just trying to... That's my... Uh, you know, my balancing act is is mm-hmm. uh, finding time, stuff that you enjoy, and and family's one of them. And so, what's up, man? That's what's yeah, up. Yeah, Chris, how about yourself, bro? How you doing, man? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just tired. <laughs> tired. Tired. I'm just tired. Up. Tired of everybody and everything. Everybody and, and everything. And uh, you know, uh, I'm listening to Sharif Farmer Reef. You know, talk about how he likes to balance stuff or whatnot. <laughs> you know, this dude be like putting on performances and be on panels and doing all kinds of things and then hatching eggs and <laughs> and digging up, you know, worms and stuff. So so I'm just tired. I'm not doing half of what he's doing and I'm not trying to. Yeah, man. But I'm good. I'm blessed. Jesus is in my life and has made things good for me. I am eating. Uh, uh, I have shelter and my children uh, are taken care of. So there you go. And yeah, you got a Lionel Richie pillow, bro. What more you want? Bro, what more do you want than a Lionel uh, Richie pillow? And a, a Paisley Park hat, bro. <laughs> what else do you need in life, right? James Baldwin on my shelf. I mean, up. and a portrait of you as well, brother. The biggest portrait of me. Portrait of you. Your face. I like it. I'm not mad you at know. it. And my uh, my soon to be classic Apple uh, speaker, my Apple speakers soon to be classic. That speaker. Yeah, that speaker's so, amazing though. So, so I love it. But I'm uh, good. Now, 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 Ankrum, bro. Are you intentionally trying not to focus? Oh, there you go. Okay, now you. It's gonna get it, it, his stuff is jumping back and forth. But how okay. you doing, brother? Before, yeah, what's you know? up, man? Yo, I, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, happy anniversary to my uncle BB and my aunt Rose celebrating 29 anniversary. Anniversary. Happy anniversary. That's beautiful. Happy anniversary. Uh, that's what's up, man. I wanted to shout them out. Uh, next, hey, 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 Charles, man. You remember that uh, that, that tip song when he was like, "You want to boost your album sales? Just holler tip." Oh yeah, you uh, some, somebody somebody is hollering out one of our our own's name to, to yeah, get some views. It, 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 it seems like if you really want to get famous in this in this in this ad reform space, all you gotta do is talk shit about Reef. <laughs> yep, especially in Camden where there ain't no other game in town, right? So, man, listen, I I, I, listen, I ain't gonna say nothing. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, they they say the the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Like, mm-hmm. And there are certain mm-hmm. people that go around the world. It, it, it reminds me of that Almond Joy. They walk around singing. Sometimes I feel like a nut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, that, that's just how some cats are, bro. Like, I like yeah. I care. Like, like whatever. <laughs> It'd be like that, man. Uh, well, it's I'm glad funny. you I mean, I, I appreciate the humor. I'm glad yeah, y'all here. Uh, you know, this week I hardwired in. I was like, you know, my Wi-Fi, because I don't pay Comcast a lot of money and I don't know why it was stuttering ever because it's like mm. the expensive, expensive one. But I, I had the thing and I was like, oh, let me just plug in. And it's, there is a big difference. So if something happened today, I'm just throwing this shit across the room. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's been going on with me, man. Um, but this show... Uh, I'm I'm really really excited for this show and and, and uh, to our super producer, can you put the name up? Um, this is something that meant 
just a lot to all of us because we've talked about it and it comes out in other episodes, but I don't know if we've ever actually done an, uh, uh, just a show on it. Uh, the duality of black men. And I put in education in those in those brackets because it doesn't just limit to there. Right. But especially in education, it's interesting and it's weird. <laughs> it's just it's a weird experience, um, which sometimes leaves me conflicted because I'm an ambassador in different fields that's trying to get black men. And, you know, I just be worried about, um, you know, I just I just be worried about uh, the treatment that those young men are going to get, especially the authentic ones, especially those that's really from those communities and what that's going to mean. And it led me to just who our guest is today. And this is brother Larry Irvin Jr. Now I got a beautiful bio for him and you can find that, but Larry's like my friend in real life. So uh, I'm just going to take a little bit of a um, liberty on this. Um, one, he's the founder and chief executive director for Brothers Empowered to Teach, um, which I know Sharif is very familiar with. Um, they do similar similar work, and I know that they're really good friends, too. Uh, he also became a TED fellow uh, just recently. He's a 2016 Camelback fellow. He is a Kellogg Leadership Network uh, cat. Um, he was a, you know, he taught in high school. Uh, he was also a football coach at his high school. He's a New Orleans boy. He loves Nola. Uh, you will be able to tell that as soon as he comes on. But on the personal side, man, you know, outside of Sharif, Ray and Chris and maybe Colin, uh, I don't really have a lot of friends uh, in education. I got a lot of people that like I associate with that I, I'm acquainted with, like that I'm cool with or whatever. But like, you know, Larry and I come from a similar place, like mentally. And um, we just got each other, man. And he's helped me get through some stuff in his work and then vice versa. And I just hadn't brought him on, you know, I, I just hadn't had the time to really just bring him on. And then I saw that he got the Ted fellowship and I was like, you know what, man, I think that now is a better time than ever. Uh, but Larry, just a good dude. Aside from all the accolades and all the stuff we about to talk about and him sharing his amazing story, he's just a real good dude that look out for cats, man. So I want y'all to know and love Larry Irvin Jr. Like I do. So uh, let's go ahead and let's, let's welcome him to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Larry Irvin Jr. How you doing, boss? I also want to say, uh, first off, Larry was having no issues with his connectivity. Got on, you got on 20 minutes earlier to check it. You froze it right now. But it's okay. I want to just say this for Larry. Larry Larry is not at home right now and is in a, in a locale that might be more fun than being with four brothers tonight. So I appreciate you for joining us tonight, brother, uh, and taking time to be with us. I will not disclose locations because that ain't my business or my place. But uh, I do want to just let you know I'm grateful, brother. <laughs> as long as you ain't where our, our man Ankrum used to be early on, you know, back in the day. <laughs> My head's kind of getting look, a little weak, look, man. Look, but, um, look, you know, what? I will say this before, before Larry, before you go into your story, I'm like, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give Ray some props because Ray was ready to go in on you just now, Sharif. And he, I know, I just I see he just smiled. The patience came I, down, raining on him. The acting in his face was Oscar worthy, but, uh, but, uh, but. Ankrum, you you take your shots throughout the show, baby. I ain't mad at it, but uh, but my guy Larry, man, Larry, why don't you just let these people tell us a little bit about your story, man, and how you got to this point? And I know you real and raw, man, but we want to give you the we want to give you the big screen on this. One. Yeah, appreciate the uh, the immaculate uh, introduction, Charles. Good to see all the brothers. What up, Sharif? Yeah, man. Real quick though, as far as so we can get to this conversation, man. Um. My story, you know, what I like to tell folks is, you know, a, a balance of experiences is not unique. 
to me, but uh, you know, I think I've, I've been uniquely tapped to tell his story. So uh, I'm the son of a lifelong educator. My mom was an educator locally in New Orleans and in Jefferson Parish, the neighboring parish, uh, for over 25 years before mm -hmm. she passed away. She laid, she laid a very positive foundation in regards to me and, and education. Um, so if you've been a if you've been a you know uh, if you have any siblings or know anybody who's been the son or daughter of, a, of an educator, you understand that's a 24-7 process. So I had that mom who was giving spelling bees uh, and pop quizzes, making me, you know, uh, compete against my older sister, Charlene, um, academically, you know, at the house. It was a 24-7 process. And that 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 her, you know, investment in education spilled over uh, outside the house, also into the community. So she was your teacher's teacher, um, your quintessential teacher in, in, in all regards. Um, like many, uh, uh, teachers, I think, who particularly who worked at Head Start, my mom was a Head Start teacher. Uh, it wasn't the most lucrative uh, profession um, and career, so she had to supplement. A lot of times, we're going to a second job. A lot of times, she came home, uh, you know, uh, took a shower, and she was headed off after school. She was headed off to budget rental car uh, for for her second job for a second shift, man. And that made me going outside, man, and finding masculinity and manhood for myself. Uh, as a young black man uh, growing up in a single parent home, right? We all understand that narrative. Uh, it's one that's way, way too familiar. And I think that just along my journey, man, um, you know, I was I was placed around a cast of characters uh, that uh, chose a certain lifestyle and it influenced me like it, I think it does a lot of young, young black men, particularly in New Orleans, but across the country, that's not, New Orleans is unique in that regards as far as the uh, ubiquitous nature of the criminal element and the street lifestyle. Uh, it's one that's, you know, constantly affirmed for us because all you have to do is go outside to see it. Um, it's right there in your neighborhood, right there on your block. Um, and, 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 you know, in, in a nutshell, that's 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 my experience, man. Um, I like to tell folks, you know, uh, when I was graduating from Delgado Community College in New Orleans, hmm. I had a 3.5, I had a 3.5 and I was on the dean's list. Um, but at that time, at that same time, I had caught my, my first of two uh, gun and uh, weapons and narcotics charges. And I think uh, when I tell folks that it just sort of uh, uh, encapsulates, uh, you know, sort of this this grappling of identity, I think that a lot of black men deal with um, constantly, constantly looking for, uh, you know, uh, who are we as we're trying to define who are we as black men? You know, we see we see on TV. I say a lot of times that, you know, we we buy into the big three and that's rapping, trapping or, uh, you know, or the street lifestyle, uh, you know, a ball or what have you, right? Rapping, trapping, a ball. Um, and we really don't think out much more outside of those those boundaries and that criteria. And I think it was just, the, it, it was another example for me as far as my, you know, um, my trajectory and my and my walk. You know, uh, like I said, I had that positive, that positive foundation for my mother. Um, but, you know, the, the streets of New Orleans and going outside and being, you know, infatuated with that, that element, um, you know, we we know the byproducts of that and sort of what comes with that. And I think I, I think we all understand why it's so easy, even though when you have a, a, such a positive foundation from a parent inside the house, why it's so easy to get sort of caught up in that uh, in that turnstile and in that 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 whirlwind of of, of uh, uh, calamities and misfortune, man, that come with the street lifestyle, man. So um, that's my example. You know, um, I have a journalism background, uh, graduated from Delgado Community College with uh, print broadcast journalism uh, associates, took that to LSU. Um, and finished uh, in communications, public address and rhetorical theory. Um, but like I said, man, while, while I was doing that, you know, I was always going home or going to my neighborhood, man. And, uh, just being a product of our, my environment, man, and being placed around the the, 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 the constituents I was placed around, uh, that happened, you know, that resulted in me uh, making some bad decisions, um, um, which I think will, will, will definitely uh, 
definitely, definitely part of my story, um, but it don't define me. Um, but I definitely did make, you know, was influenced by, by that particular lifestyle, man. And, uh, you know, put me in a position where I, where I wasn't able to use my education that I had acquired because of my criminal history. Every job that I applied for, I applied for many writing jobs, marketing, marketing, marketing jobs. Um, but that background check, I couldn't get past that background check. And I think that led me to the work that I'm doing now where I just got put in a position, man, in 2013 um, to where I had to get really creative. Uh, I had to get really creative about how I was going to sustain myself as a 30 plus year old man at that point. Uh, I was 31 at that point. And uh, I had to figure, you know, because 850 an hour wasn't going to do it. I was washing dishes at Redfish on Bourbon Street. This is with both of my degrees. Um, this is after writing for both uh, school newspapers and, and things of that nature and really showing showing out from an academic standpoint. But that criminal background, man, is something I just couldn't get around, man. And um, like I said, I was working at Italian Pie, working at Redfish, making 850 an hour, bringing home about 230 um, every two weeks. And this was at 30, 31 years old, man. So you could just imagine um, my family, my friends, uh, a lot of them just sort of wrote me off, man, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't have money to uh, to sufficiently, you know, just uh, provide for myself as a grown man. Like I said, when you're that 30 number, man, the, the game changed. People look at you different. Um, and that was my story, man. And I had to really get creative, man, as far as figuring out what I was going to do just as a, you know, it wasn't about nonprofit. It wasn't about entrepreneurship. It wasn't about, honestly, we even trying to have like a positive impact. I just had to do something that was going to give me a... a, a, a a salary and, a, and an income, man, that I could I could show up <laughs> like a grown man, like the grown man I was at 30, 31 years old, man. So, uh, and that led to me meeting Christina, man, my co-founder of Buzzing Power to Teach and um, just sharing her story, my story with her and her introducing me to folks. And it started with an Echo and Green application um, and that I didn't get, I didn't get the fellowship, but I think through that process and the feedback, I uh, got a lot of feedback back and I knew I had something. So I came back home man, started a pilot. Um, just with seven young men, four from Xavier, four from uh, three from Dillard University. And uh, we just started having conversations, man, about, you know, uh, their plight as black men. And um, I started asking, you know, what was the experience with black male teachers? And uh, the, the, the the average number was that they had one in their K-12 experience. They either had zero or they had one in their K-12 experience. And I, I figured we had something. So I just, one thing led to another man, got a couple of fellowships, man. And then the concept took off and, and, and now we're here, man. <laughs> Oh, man, that's beautiful, man. Uh, I mean, fellas, I want y'all to definitely just, you know, chime in and ask any questions there. And I know I said this earlier. I just only reason I just want to make this connection. I know Ray is a Louis a Louisiana boy. And I know that Chris has some roots in, in New Orleans, too. So, you know, uh, any reactions or thoughts from y'all? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Ray. Yo, I'll jump in first. Bruh, a dope charge in uh, in Louisiana. Man, that shit is real. Uh, I, I would tell y'all for, for the people that's listening I'm from St. Henry Parish at 16 years old I got caught with about a quarter of a, a, a crack cocaine and like my life trajectory could have went one way or it could have went the other way uh, Mom Dukes who lived in New York was like nah my son ain't getting locked up so I went up north and so that's just to say man hey, I, like, I appreciate you sharing I appreciate you sharing your plight but uh, you know what you're talking about is definitely something that a lot of a lot of folks in Louisiana are going through. And it, it's not to say that Louisiana is unique in terms of like, you know, ha have, having that kind of mentality or like having that kind of lifestyle or being around those certain kinds of peers that do those those types of things. But it's to say that right. a dope charge in Louisiana ain't like a dope charge nowhere else. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's I have a question about that so, too. You know, we're the most accustomed. No, no, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just speaking to brother's point, like the, the number say so, you know, we, you know, this this is not 
uh, conjectural, you know, embellishment in any way, but New Orleans for a long time has been the most incarcerated city in the world, not in the country, but in the world. Um, mm-hmm. The numbers, you know, um, we're just really starting to get, get to the bottom of a lot of the, the, the incarceration rates and um, it's just, it's magnified at a different level here. And I think, you know, we can, we can talk historically as far as the historical context and why that is and the criminal justice system in New Orleans and a long history uh, of corruption. Um, it's not unique, but I think it's just more concentrated and magnified uh, for a myriad of reasons uh, in New Orleans. Yeah, so I had a question about that, really, because I do think New Orleans is unique. You know, Howard Fuller likes to say that uh, lots of cities are unique, but New Orleans is unique of the unique cities. Yeah. Um, and this this situation with like the the uh, the prosecutors and the way that the bail system works there and the way that everything looks like it's a railroad, really, yep. like in a way that I think if the rest of the country really knew, they would be shocked <laughs> to know that how yeah. things go down in New Orleans. But I wonder how that becomes part of the education of young black people in the city. Like what are educators doing? Because y'all have a double double duty situation. You have to teach kids the the basics, but you also have to tell them, teach them about the system that they live in, which is unique. And I just wonder as educators and as black male educators, how that, how you all wrap that into, you know, into what you're teaching the next generation about their system. It's our foundation, brother. Um, it's 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 every it's it's the springboard and a launch pad for everything that we do, aside from the lens that we that we that we utilize to you know create our our pedagogy and our educational theory and all of our approaches as far as programming and development of our young men. But um, what we try to do from the outset with our cipher series and uh, our professional development is we bring these young men in and we have very candid uh, and upfront conversations about just you know we giving them the historical context we're, we're telling them to cut their TVs on um, and really setting the tone to create certain dispositions in our work um, more so than educators um, we're creating a disposition um, to be able to withstand uh, really uh, the, the, the chart that is what's the charter system in New Orleans and uh, we want to give them all of that history we even took, took we've widened this scope not only from a local context but we've also brought it in a national you know, we've had uh, we take an annual trip to Johannesburg every every year as well. Wow. Where we, uh, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of parallels as far as what they're dealing with in, uh, in South Africa, as far as the absence and representation of black men in the classrooms and sort of the ramifications of that. But just to bring it back locally, man, um, it's our foundation. We go to uh, Whitney Plantation. We visit plantations. Mm. And we talk about the historical context and what education or the lack thereof meant for slaves uh, back in that day. And um, just sort of. So it resonates how important the work they're doing um, is. You know, we really want to put the onus on our on our on our fellows more so than just uh, uh, you know selling or marketing a, a job opportunity or uh, income opportunity. We're really putting the onus on them as far as uh, that commitment and, and that investment in their own communities and what it means for a black man to go in the classroom. Uh, it's it's the the impact is exponentially profound, um, and we have to get them at, at the at the onset at the entry point get them thinking about it from 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 that from that view from a panoramic sitting up top looking down at the landscape and at the ecosystem and understanding all the moving parts and variables uh because just dropping them off which we've learned just dropping them off without that information is really uh uh you know they're, they're really at a handicap if they don't if they don't understand it from a global perspective mm. 
That's wild, yeah. man. Yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything, Ray, before we put up the questions. No, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, one, I appreciate uh, Brother Larry and like all his work. I remember when I first met him, it was at a at a event and uh, he was just like sharing what he was doing. And I was like, yo, that's that's amazing. Like I was really just proud to know like how he was, um, you know, involved in it. And I've just, you know, been you know, really, I think blessed to have him in in um, in a network. You know, when uh, when my mother passed, for example, you know, Larry called me like, "Hey, you know what? Like, I, I went through what you're going through. You're gonna be okay. You know what I mean? And here's what I did to continue through. And I think that's part of like the the black male. Um, black men in education, right? Like you can be the lone and lonely, right? Like you might have professional uh, things you need to tap into folks for, or personal. And to be able to do that with on both sides with uh, brothers like Larry, um, I'm just deeply appreciative and, you know, and, and grateful, grateful for his work. I didn't even know about the Johannesburg uh, piece. That, that's, <laughs> no, that's dope, like, Yo, <laughs> like that, that's, that's wild. That's uh, I think it's just really, you know, really important. You know, I, I'm all about that international life for our for our youth, man. This is I think it's crucial. I know. I didn't know about it either because I ain't, I ain't never got no damn invitation to come help. Look, I just I just said outside of people named Ray, Chris, Sharif and Colin that this is like one of my and Brandon this is like one of my only friends in education. I ain't even get an invitation to the damn location today. Anyway, uh, <laughs> look, man, you know, funding, you know, you know, funding, you know, funding is limited. Hey man, I, I I I'll spend my own money to come out there and support you know, on that one, brother. That's, man, I, I I love to come out there, man, and support. Uh, I, I, we can probably uh, figure out a way to get all the hands to come out there and support, brother. We can we can work that out. Um, you know, if y'all want to go to Johannesburg, uh, before we move uh, on, can I can I get this to brother Sharif real quick? <laughs> go ahead. Before we move on, can I please tell this to brother Sharif? Yeah, Sharif, I just want to let you know, man. Before we segue on to other questions, man, subsequent questions, man, like what you're talking about as far as just being a. I don't think you really understand. I, I, I've expressed it to you, I think, through text, but I don't think you really understand what you've been, um, the type of press you've been. Um, and I don't, I don't, your timing has been immaculate as far as when you send your texts or your calls um, and you're just like, man, just checking in on you. Like that, that I, words would, you know, I'll never be able to articulate what that means, man. And your timing is always just right on point, man. Because like you said, it gets very lonely in this walk. And, and you know, as mm-hmm. black men, and as well, a lot of times we don't have those support systems, man, or those spaces where we can just go be, like bring our full selves and really just uh, be vulnerable, man. So I just want to I want to commend you for that, brother. Brother Sharif uh, is much needed. I need to do I need to be better at it um, myself as far as reaching back to other brothers and things of that nature. Like, I'm, you know, I communicate with my fellows and things of that nature, but even my extended family, even like a Charles and things of that nature, brothers that I know that's in this space doing this work, man. Like, I understand I will walk intimately, man, and those those. Those phone calls and text Sharif are priceless. I'm gonna just leave it there, man. It's they are priceless, bro. Man, look at Sharif just having impact. See, look after that anti-Sharif article that came out today. Look at all this love you're getting in the space. Oh, you, you can't you can't talk about you can't talk bad about Reef in this space, bro. Like it's I mean, it's too many people nationwide that, that, that have relationships with him to where well, there's too many real ones too. Too many real yeah. ones that got relationship with him. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I I just say this. So so let's go ahead. But I think that's Thank a good you, segue man. into our first. That's good. But I think that segues into our first question, though. And Larry, as our guest, you go first and then, fellas, let's just jump in afterwards. Um, but really, though, man, let's let's ask the question, you know, fellas, what is your what is y'all's experience in education being as black men? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's really like kind of break that down. And Larry, you talked about it a little bit, um, but give us a little bit more context around what your experience has been. And then, brothers, y'all, y'all go ahead and jump in after that. 
I think it's all it, it all starts and ends with a deficit perspective that I think permeates every every angle and every aspect of education for black men from the from both from the entire dichotomy from the student side and also the the educated side. So those same implicit biases and stereotypes and preconceived notions um, and dehumanizing that we see of black boys in the K twelve space as far as the suspensions and just think about the number the number of black boys that are placed in special ed. This deficit perspective, I think, is the uh, is the linchpin of everything that we see as far as the barriers that we see uh, externally that create internal barriers, I think, psychologically uh, for black men. But I think it all starts and ends with the deficit perspective, man. And that's that's a deeper conversation. I don't know if there's a, uh, a pedagogy or what have you uh, to address that. I think that's just that's 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 uh, human behavior having to change. And I think what we see in education, Charles, to answer the question is just a microcosm of what we see in society. It's just, it's the same thing. I don't think we, education is a safe space to where the playing field is is, is leveled outside of the social structure and the social context that black men walk. Um, it's just a representation of that. So um, we're seen as less, we're seen as a, uh, as a liability before an asset, man. And I just think, um, you know, that can manifest itself in many, many ways, uh, whether it's suspension, getting put out of class or having a very short leaf uh, leash, excuse me, uh, in which we see a lot of a lot of our fellows have in regards to the latitude and agency to grow uh, and, and fail and correct that failure. Um, black men don't get and a lot of our fellows don't get that. They make a mistake. And a lot of times it's always it usually culminates in a conversation around them not being uh, ready to teach. But there's a lot of first year teachers who have many struggles from different walks, whether it's white, black, female, Hispanic, Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Um, a first year teacher is a first year teacher. But we see for black men, um, if you're not, uh, if you're not, if you don't fit into that sort of monolithic uh, box that they are, are polished example of polished version of a black man. I got many stories I can share with y'all about uh, about that as far as how school leaders try to cherry pick sort of the cream of the crop, uh, but don't embrace sort of some of those, you know, middle of the road guys. If I needed, if I have to label them something um, who are not as polished, who don't enunciate as well, who are not uh, Mr. Xavier and a 4.0, who are not Mr. Dillard in a 4.0, uh, if they fall short, but if they fall anything under that threshold, uh, it seems as if there's, there's just, they're quick to pull the leash on these young men and not give them a chance to grow uh, and fail and learn, man, in these spaces, man. So um, that's, you know, to, in a nutshell, there's, there's many layers to it. It's a multifaceted issue, but I think high level, man, it all starts and ends with, with, with deficit perspective. Mm. Man. Uh, fellas, I mean, Larry said a mouthful, man. I want to open it up to you all. Uh, I mean, and actually, you know, I, re- I really want to hear from each of y'all. Like, what has your experience as black men? What has your experience been in this education space? What, what are we talking about? We're talking about like we're talking about as adults or we're talking about just like in general. Well, I think well, we, I said that, that's why I said black men. I, I think in doing this work. Right. And like being like whatever your career is in education or however you've done it, like, what has your experience been? And I mean, and I'll be even transparent about why. you was the man-man now. Like, <laughs> when you became, when you started teaching. Right. Not but, I, but, 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 but Ray, I, I appreciate the clarity on the question because I'll be transparent around why I asked it. I asked it because, and I said this on the show, like, I'm really thinking about leaving. Like, I'm really thinking, like, I'm really thinking about leaving this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just tired and I'm just kind of annoyed by it. You feel me? So like, um, and I know I got stories around just being a, my authentic self in this space in a space that's saying that it loves authenticity. But now I see people winning because they playing caricatures of themselves and, and kind of doing it up. And it's just, it's, it's annoying. So I just, I'm really honestly just selfishly curious 
of the brothers that I have on this podcast, like what is your experience kind of been? And Ray, I kind of know yours because that's how we met. We met off of one of your experiences in treatment as a black man in this space. So, you know, I'm just curious. Uh, and I know we all came in different ways. So, I'm, you know, so you can go ahead and answer if you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, man, like, honestly, it's hard being a black man in an ad space, uh, plain and simple, right? Because like when you show up as your authentic self, it's like, you know, you put yourself through so much scrutiny. Right. Uh, in terms of like how other people see you, uh, you uh, one thing, uh, one advice that I would give to anybody that's showing up as themselves when I just like know who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Know your barriers, know what you can handle and know what you can't handle. I mean, speaking to that situation that you were talking about earlier, Charles, I damn that killed myself, man. I, I'm, I'm laying up in the hospital. Uh, uh, stressed out and whatnot. You know, it was when I initially got diagnosed as a diabetic and uh, it was all due to like work-related stress. Like my stress at work had me doing all kinds of shit, had me eating, had me not sleeping right, had me not taking care of myself because mm-hmm. my my thoughts and my mind was so saturated with how can I impress these folks or whatever, you know, in, in order to in order to maintain my standing in that space. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come, I didn't become a man man like Reef saying until I was like, man, fuck these people. I'm gonna be who I'm gonna be. And if they can't take who I am in this space, then this might not be the right space for me. If you can't take who I'm gonna be at this table, then I need to build a new table. And so until I had to kind of change my mindset in terms of like knowing that it was okay for me to show up however the hell I want to show up. Right. As long as I'm bringing a level of brilliance and, level, and as long as I'm bringing a level of expertise that's going to move kids and that's going to help families and students grow, then you can't really think about what anybody else is thinking about you. Mm. Yeah. That's what's up. I mean, I think Larry and Ankram bring up so many, you know, just really important points, I think, you know, um, it's that whole like boys to men, you know, uh, kind of thing, right? Like there's a reason there's, for some reason, people think that the experience of black boys, like they can acknowledge that that's extremely problematic, uh, you know, across the country, just like the lived experiences of so many black boys. But they think miraculously it just changes when you become a black man um, in schools, right? Like, oh, black man in society, like, oh, yeah, here's what's going on. But in school. No, we we love you. Like it's like, and I'm just like, nah, that's not quite how it works, right? Like the as you said, like whether it's uh, the deficit mindset or the you know prejudice or just like really anti-blackness and then anti-black man, um, that's a thing, right? Like whether it's the you know a lot of folks call it the invisible tax. I think it's pretty visible in most cases. <laughs> you know, like it is a a tax upon a tax of yeah. being. A, and whether they want to uh, paint you in a box to be an overseer and like, oh, you know, that's your job. That's your only job. Right. Um, or if it's just like disregard, disregarding, um, I think a really important uh, piece. And I have to acknowledge, like, I feel like really privileged and blessed of where I landed as a new uh, black man, as a teacher. You know, where I landed, it was uh, what I did recognize. I was the only full time uh, black man teacher in the building. Uh, but there were black men who were leaders in the building, right? Like they were, they had hybrid roles. They were like leading departments, right? Leading grade teams. And so I was able to see that at a very, uh, you know, very distinct, unique way because other folks in the brotherhood in the, in this, in this, uh, this program, the concerned black men program, a lot of them have very, very different experiences than, than I had. Right. Like, and some of it, I was like, like just downright, I was a little naive because I thought everybody was 
enjoying the same type of experience I was at, you know, um, at my school. But it was like when we would go to the meetings or go to classes, I mean, it was just like some really, really foul stuff that was going on with with uh, some of the brothers. I think that really stuck with me over the years, which is why I wanted to, you know, uh, launch the fellowship or why, you know, right. Like it was those kind of things that I was hearing and experiencing and, and supporting folks with. Um, and I would just say the last piece on this is, you know, it's it's always this. I always say, like, you know, a lot of America is schizophrenic when it comes to black men. They're like, show your emotion. All right. Well, my emotion right now is I'm pissed off. I'm angry. Oh, no. Now you did. You angry black man. Like, wait a minute. I'm that emotion. That's my frustration in how you want to say like, nah, like. Right. And so um, I think all of that is really important to be really conscious of and how we support black men. Like we have to understand some of the things that black men are going through in school, in life in uh yeah. you know overall so man that's what's yeah it worked and i think sharif you check i think you check i'm sorry go ahead no you good go, go ahead bro i think sharif and, and me and charles have talked a lot about this online i'll try to stay as, as high level and surface level as i can um and this is not a criticism um sharif but i think there's a I think it all ties into how we ascribe intelligence and all of that, right? So how we ascribe intelligence and how we ascribe who's a who's a good a, a good educator and, and, and that criteria and uh, those metrics. I think from an aesthetic standpoint, Sharif, you check some of those boxes and may be seen or perceived as safe hmm. um, in some regards. Like I know you, you're not a small guy, but I know there's a different level of there's a different level of conversation around being a black male teacher, but then being a black male teacher of some stature, uh, me being 6'4", you know, uh, 270 roughly, and what that means uh, for whiteness when I show up um, and, and the projection of my voice and me having a beard and, you know, speaking directly to folks and, and being stern, um, I think it, you know, there, there's another layer of it, but I think you're hitting, you're hitting, on, you're hitting on all cylinders. Um, there's, 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 there's a, I see a, a common theme, a consistent theme from guys who get the reception that you've gotten, um, Sharif versus myself and other people who've gotten a different type of reception. There's you, the common thread for me has been the aesthetic and that's enunciation, uh, you know, your dexterity with, with the English language. Um, all of this is a part of the, I think the safeness that is perceived from folks. And when they, they see Sharif coming to the door and say, he's okay. But when a Larry comes into the door, it's a little bit different conversation. I think that's being had. I would say say it's a little uh, nuance to that, right? Because Mm -hmm. some of it, I'm showing up, you're showing up as Larry. I'm showing up as Sharif. I'm showing up as El Meki. I'm showing up as Mm -hmm. the boy who grew up in Iran, who's a Muslim, whose parents were looked at as (laughs) radicals, right? Like, so there's a whole, you know, there's, there's nuance. To, to all of it, because, you know, some of the circles, you know, I talked about like my, my new teaching experience, my principalship, like, I mean, it was straight sabotage. Like, I mean, someone told me, despite the fact that, you know, it was very few Muslim kids there. Right. Like there, there was a person who was sending anonymous letters and in the letter it was like, yeah. oh, he's trying to turn this into a a, a, uh, a black Muslim, you know, terrorist organization. Right. Because I'm like speaking black pride. Like. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's some nuance. Yeah. yeah. You know, definitely. I think, you know, yeah. I showed yeah. up at six. five. Yeah. It'd be a, it'd be a different story. Too. Rich, like, how tall are you? Five, ten. What, what are you at? Where are you at? Five, nine. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a little dude. 
<laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, I would, never mind. No, but you know, see, the, see, the, you, you make people go into juveniles. And I want to and I want to get Chris in on this because I know Chris had a different experience, <laughs> but has still experience with stuff. But I think that that's the point that you, that you raise about Sharif. I think that's really interesting, right? And the reason why I say that is with all of Sharif's dopeness and all the love that he gets, all the people that love him, all his history, his family history, what they've done. And he still catch hell, right? So like, and so that's what I'm saying. Like that's that's inherent to the issue, right? Even when you got this, I mean, when you look at that dude's background from being a child, right? His family always been given back to the community. They've always been active. He's always been like a, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's Sharif is one of the kindest people you're going to ever meet. One of the most loving, welcoming people you're going to ever meet. You know what I'm saying? So that's the point is, is that, if you still yeah. making it difficult for that dude, then what are you doing to a cat that's 6'4", 270, got yeah. a record, and it sound like he's straight out of New Orleans like yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like still there. I'm just saying. And and, and yeah. I experienced that in different ways, too. But, Chris, I, go ahead and, and, and chime Shout in. Shout out on to this. all the accents, right? Like, I, I love I love black, like, language. Yeah, I love them, too. They'll just yeah. get you fired. That's all. Like, they just... <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a big difference between the ninth ward and the seventh ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they get you yeah. fired. That's some all. Accents, <laughs> some accents sound like, like unemployment, so... Yeah, that's all. Go ahead, Chris. I mean, you know, what, what's been your experience? What do you say to that? Division? What do you say to that, Larry? I was just like, all right, like... <laughs> You got a way it's, it's a real go thing, ahead, man. Bro. So when you know, we, yo, we, let Chris we, go, please. The, the <laughs> it's funny. We yeah, still go, laughing. Yeah, let, Chris let Chris get it up, man. Yeah. Stop saying funny stuff, and then we can make it <laughs> But Chris, what's your experience in education been as a black man and and, and as an adult in uh, a black adult in education? Yeah. So so I wrote something like two years ago, two thousand eight. Um, I think Josh is going to pull it up. Yeah, it's up. And it's, if you want more black males in education, stop dragging the ones who are already there when they disagree with your whack ass. Um, <laughs> and and I wrote this because um, I, I know many black males in education um, who have caught hell and it doesn't matter what they look like or sound like or how big they are, how short they are, whatever. This system will find a way to niggerize you, whether you got a Ph.D. or whether you don't, um, whether you're short or tall or whatnot. The moment you start pushing on this system and the people who are the most invested in it, many oftentimes the public employees who don't look like you, you often have a fight on your hands. Um, and, and so you asked what my experience is. My oldest is 30. My youngest is 10. So I still have a ways to go. Right. And uh, my own experience wasn't great. So when I became a parent, uh, I was a little bit militant about the fact that their situation was going to be better than mine. I started out as pretty ignorant about the way things work. So I had to learn grade by grade. I had to learn the different handshakes and the way different things work. And at every pass, there was a way to marginalize you, especially as a black father. Right. Some schools even have a special night just for black fathers because they don't expect you to participate any any time with the rest of the year. Right. So they have the chicken dinner night for, for black males, black dad night, you know, and 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 you're like, I ain't heard I nothing from you. I think you're making it up. I don't believe it. <laughs> Bruh, when I tell you that there's a tamale night, a samosa night and a chicken night and 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 it's once in the year and it's several brothers looking at each other like, what the hell is wrong with these people? Um, um, and they don't call us for anything good for the rest of the year. You ask what my experience is. My experience is, is one of having to be diligent about the fact that my kids aren't getting the microaggressions that I got. Uh, and And when Larry said earlier, like, 
I don't know what you how you said it, but you had the perfect word for it, like the deficit mindset or whatnot. It's more it's like a culture of deficit. It's not even a mindset. It's just like everything. Like if you have antennas, if you have black antennas coming out of your head as a black father, every recept received message that you are getting is like a deficit message. And you feel it. You have to be relatively asleep, the most unwoke of the unwoke to not catch the messages that these people are sending you when they have your children for six hours a day. Mm. Uh, so that's my experience. And when you challenge any of it, whether Larry challenged it or Sharif or whatnot, they come for you and they come for you like with their college educations and their college degrees and their Twitter handles and their anonymous Twitter handles and who's paying you to do what you do or who's paying you to say what you say. And, you know, that's kind of like nobody has to pay me. You have my children and I pay taxes. So I'm going to need you to shut up and just realize that I have as much invested in this as you do. Don't treat me like I'm a surf. Right. That's why. So that's my experience. I mean, that's that's wild, man. And um, I think y'all did such a good job on this. I think we even answered, you know, the second part of this question that was going to come up. But I'll, I'll dive in, too, man. Um, and just for the people out there that's listening, if you. One, thank y'all for supporting us so much. If you really want to support, share this episode now. We need you to share it. Take some time, you know, like it and share it. Let's get it out there. Uh, Larry, make sure it goes to your network as well, man, uh, because I think there are not platforms that's giving you this kind of true authenticity. And I'm going to tell you what I mean around true authenticity. I think there's a lot of people playing authentic and it's a it's a, it's a script. Um, and I feel like when you've been in this work for a while, you start to be able to decode the script because uh, there's certain black people that you want to be authentic and is out there. And it's certain that you don't want to hear from. And I think that the five people on this episode <laughs> represent those that you don't want to hear from. If we're going to tell the truth, let's tell the whole damn thing. You feel me? Like tell the truth and shame the devil. I think my experience in education has been this. It's just been some learnings that I've had. And I've been scribbling away, just listening to y'all and being inspired by each of y'all. You know what I'm saying? And like, I'm always, I'm super discouraged when Sharif has a rough time in anything. Cause I'm like, if y'all don't like him, you for damn sure not going to like me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if it's rough for him, oh my God, it's going to be super rough. Here, here's what I know. Educate, being a black man in education has showed me a lot of people ain't never been punched in the mouth before. That, that it's just fact. It's, fact. It's, it just shows me, and I'm not saying this on some tough guy stuff. I'm I saying am. this. I'm saying this as somebody <laughs> who grew up. I'm saying this as somebody who grew up in a particular type of neighborhood, right? And you learn very early around what talking reckless and being disrespectful can get you. And a lot of times you will end up like this. And I've ended up like this before. And early on, I did not like that. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, yo, I always try to leave with respect and love. But there are so many people that say stuff to you crazy. Um, and then when you respond in kind from the place that you come from, uh, then you look like the crazy one. The other thing that I've learned is that you've heard it all before. And what I mean by that is you've heard these false promises. You've heard people say what they're going to do. You've heard people take credit for the one kid that went to college that was going to go to college without your ass. You've heard people say stuff like black people don't care about education or them parents not going to show up. Like you once you hear all these things and then it turns you back into a little kid and then you starting to put two and two together like, oh, shit, I think this is the stuff y'all might have been saying when I was in school. I think this is 
the stuff the way y'all might have been feeling and what could have happened if I actually had that type of experience or whatever. Right. So when people are regurgitating things from 30 years ago in front of you and you are saying something who as a person who's germane to that community, like when Larry is teaching in New Orleans, he is from New Orleans. When Ray is in Louisiana, he is from Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? When Sharif is talking about Philly, he is from he is, he was shot in Philadelphia. Like, what the fuck you going to tell him? You know what I'm saying? But like when you when I say something now, you trying to you trying to explain my neighborhood and my people to me. And you just got here. You ain't even from here. <laughs> you kick out the kids that you don't like. And I know it's a narrative that charter schools kick out kids. Listen, I worked at a district. We got a kill list every year, yo. Principals will send you a list of names around test time. I need these people gone. And if you go, if listen, it ain't cool when charters do it. It ain't cool when private schools do it. And if a damn sure ain't cool when public schools do it, but there's a baked in excuse for when those schools do it. And then finally, I said this before. It's authenticity for some, but not for all. Do you really want me to show up as my full self? Do you really want me to bring every aspect of Charles Cole, of Chris Stewart, of Sharif el of Ray, of, of Larry? Do you really, really want that and what that means? Because guess what? Larry talking about me being a black teacher is going to be far more effective than somebody in a suit that I don't know, that don't know where I come from talking about that. When that brother said I was making $8 an hour and this just ain't for me. And I was trying not to go back to a place. Cause this is what, this is what I heard in the subtext of that, that he didn't say. What I heard him saying is I ain't going to be making $8 for too much longer. Some, something <laughs> got to give. Something, if I got to, if I got to take this chance for this chance. And this is the thing. If you didn't hear, there's a lot of people teaching in classrooms right now that did not decode that as he was talking about that at that moment. You know what I'm saying? So it's different when a Sharif and a Larry is running these type of programs versus some other people that I feel can't even walk down certain streets. So that's what I've learned in it. I've learned that. And, and, and also RIP, this is the last part and I'll move on. RIP to um, DMX, who meant a lot to me. DMX meant a lot to me. I went back and just posted all the tweets that I've been tweeting about him since Twitter started. Like, and everybody look, I don't know. You know what y'all love about authentic? Y'all love dead authentic niggas. That's what you like. You like Ooh. people when they dead and they gone. Charles, don't do that. Yes. You like them when they dead and they gone, man. Because a week ago, I can go and show you all the toxic, how toxic he is, how this, how that, or whatever. The th- Listen, I feel like if I died today, I would get so much love in the education space by a lot of people. Hey, you get love right now, baby. By, you get love right now. Yeah, but also, okay, there, but see, this this is the other thing, right? And this is this is how Larry and I became friends. I, I'm always the person that speaks up, but it gets tiring, right? And one day we had a meeting on something mutual, and Larry just hit me out the words, and we actually didn't know each other then. We had just been on calls and stuff. He was just like, "Bro, just keep going. Just just keep." Hey, man, keep doing that, man. I'll do a better job of speaking up with you so you ain't the only one doing it or whatever. Like, the the love, I might get a little bit of love, Ray, or it feels like it, bro, but it also sucks getting tapped on your shoulder off to the side. Hey, Charles, what what you about to say, man? Or what you gonna do, man? Or what's this or whatever? Are you worried about my diction? Because I got four degrees. Are you worried about my authenticity? Because I come from this place. Are you worried if I know what I'm talking about? Because I got actual receipts. What are you fucking worried about? Do you do that to white people? In this space, you know, that's supposed to be meant you know for this. Answer, you know the answer to that. So, so, so. Anyway, I didn't mean to go there, I, but y'all were in an authentic show, and this is the you know, DMX rest in peace. Put up the third question, brother. <laughs> we gonna skip the second question. Are there any comments? Uh, let me. You know what? 
I'll just say one comment on everything you just said. This is why I think this is why I think Larry and and Sharif have a tough job, right? Because you are trying to encourage people, black men, to go into dangerous social situations that might be dangerous for their health. Because unless you tell them the truth of what it's like to be in a highly feminized occupation, uh, highly white feminized occupation as a black male, you're not setting them up for success if you don't tell them the truth. But telling them the truth is going to make many of them say, you know, I might not need that in my life. <laughs> right. Like, like like for many people, they'd be like, you know what? I want to do that. And if you put me in a school with all other black male teachers, now we're off to the races. But, you know, 99.9% of the time, that is never going to be the case you're sending into. You're probably going to be, uh, Sharif and Larry, if someone takes a job like that tomorrow, you're helping people, like, get them into that field. What do you think is going to be the, the makeup of their, their coworkers, like, when they get in there? Who are they going to be working with? White women. Mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Mostly and, and, and so this dude earlier says he's 6'4". You know, and 270. What's that going to look like when there's a disagreement? Bro, so real, real quick, I want to make an analogy. Right? <laughs> when there's a disagreement, okay. what's okay. that going to really, look like? Really unpopular I, I, I didn't feel safe. You, I hey, didn't you, feel safe when you said it the way that you said it. You know, you, know, you know what weapon What weapon may be more dangerous than an AR-15? White tears. Uh, accusation? Chris, say it. White tears, white tears, white tears, and a little bit of of unions uh, searching of your social media feed um, <laughs> will it make you wonder why you ever decided to do this in the first place. You like, you know what? I just need to have children. I don't need to teach them, <laughs> right? You know, I would say, but, I, but, I, but I would say, I would say, power structures counter, right? Just to go stay with you on that, Chris. Power structures counter. It ain't just white tears no more, right? It ain't just white folks. See. That's Listen, true. man, they got smart and they, they started moving like bosses and said, I'm not about to go in the middle of the street and slap box with no black people. I'm going to send other black people. And this That's is the right. thing, right? Because there is a product. There are some black people that are welcomed in education. That's There's right. a way you can be. That's and you, right. want, you know what I'm saying? And, and, right. and, and, and they can tell their truths all day. Every mm-hmm. village has its idiots. Uh-huh. And sometimes in education, they're able to find every one of them. If you are pushing back too much and they want to tell you something that they don't want to tell you, they'll send somebody who got who's on that Don Lemon stuff and they'll be telling you, you know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you privately, like, you know, you'll be a lot more effective if you just said it differently. Mm. Or, you know, you catch more. What is the thing with bees? You catch more honey bees with honey, bees honey, honey, yeah, with honey. And I'm like, isn't honey bee shit? I mean, how you want to catch no, bees? Okay. Oh, oh, now, gotta, okay. now the nerd has oh. to step in and say, no, it is not. Don't, don't miseducate the people. <laughs> but yo, and and and, and let's get, I want to get to this this question because I want us to, to to dive in there because I don't want us to just talk about the problems and not the solution. So Josh, put up that last now, nah, put up the next one. We we answered that one a little bit, bro. Um, so how do you bring in more authentic black men? Without setting them up for the okie doke, and I'll give you an example, and, and Larry, you can you can answer first. But just as an example, I'm a part of a bunch of organizations, a bunch of like societies or whatever, right? And they'd be like, "Yo, Charles, you got some black men for us? You can give us some authentic black men from Oakland." I said, "Listen, only if I can have them go in two at a time. Like I, I just know what my experience was going in by myself, 
if I can't have them going in as a group where they at least got a Larry across the room or a Ray on the phone or a Sharif that I can text or a Chris that I can like FaceTime with, I can't do it because I that's that it, it can be torturous, man. It can really be torturous and how you hating everything and everybody. So uh so you do this work, Larry, and then you know, I think this is like the you and reef section, and we can all play in and jump in, but y'all are doing this. How are y'all bringing in black men and making sure they protected, making sure they knowing what they going, they getting into and uh, just helping them not step in it. You feel me? Um, Larry, what, what, give me some, some answers, fam. Yeah. The first thing you hit around the, um, on the, on the head, Charles, as far as um, putting cohorts in our school with our school partners. So the way we contract our actual contracts with K-12 partners is we do four, per school partner. So there's four young men going to the same school who can share their experiences, who can have feedback. They become a family, sort of a subgroup or like a fraternity um, within within that school. That ain't like a fraternity, bro. That ain't like a fraternity. Oh, God. Here we go. Don't bite, Larry. Don't bite. Don't bite. Yeah, just, don't bite, Larry. Don't bite. Okay. He, he frat. Yeah. He frat. Yeah. You hear know what I'm saying? There's a brotherhood. Yeah, he's a, a, he got a black Greek on I won't say frat. I'll say I'll say brotherhood and uh, as a placeholder, but um, and we did that intentionally, right? Because we understand the the experiences uh, and the barriers they're going to face. Also, um, we have a very candid conversation with our school leaders before we contract with them up front, and uh, we learned this. Me and Christina learned this about year two, year somewhere between year two and year three that the expectations as far as black men and, and what they what they're expected as far as I see a lot of people forget that our young men are still in undergrad. So when we place them in the schools, mm. the ex, they have expectations of seasoned veteran educators. Mm. And a lot of times we got to remind folks, these dudes are still becoming adults. So these are 18, 19, 20 year old people, humans who still have a long way to go as far as adulthood one-on-one and how they show up um, has a lot to do with that. And not just the fact that they're not great educators if they make a mistake or if they address something not within the scope or the culture of the school. Um, a shameless plug, you know, the work of Cypher 360, about year three, between year three and four, me and Christina was asking the same very question, brother uh, Chris, that you that you, that you you posed as far as, are we putting young men in a poison well? And we figured the answer, the, the clear cut consensus was that, yeah, we are. We're putting, we putting our young men in a poison well and we're not setting them up. Just recruiting and giving them uh, and indoctrinating them in, into our program and our culture is really, in some senses, making it more of a, making them more of a handicap because they're getting dropped off in the culture. Once they leave brothers and father to teach, now they're just in that school culture, right? Once they become graduated, first, uh, certified graduated first year teachers, um, we have a support system that we still, you know, uh, give them after the first year. But they're not in our system anymore. They can call us. They can still, you know, we can give them heads up. We can make connections for them. But they're not in the brothers and father system. What tools and resources do they have? And mechanisms do they have? To sort of withstand everything they're going to, once once they're completely out of the brothers of power to teach fold, uh, to give them. And that's what Cypher 360 came in. So, you know, uh, earlier this year we launched Cypher 360. It's been part of our sustainability plan. Um, once again, as black founders, we have to hustle. So we have to create as many revenue streams as possible to be able to control our product and our service at the end of the day. So we needed another revenue stream, but we figured what better way but to create another revenue stream, but to address these institutional issues, because what we're finding out is that it's not our young men. Um, it's these, it's, it's, it's the implicit bias, it's the stereotypes, um, it's the institution side, it's the K-12 side that hasn't figured out how to embrace diversity and what's that, what that looks like, that hasn't figured out what the, uh, true equity and inclusion looks like. And we're finding out a lot of our young black men are leaving the classroom, a lot of our veteran uh, black educators are leaving, the, not, not just male, but female as well. 
or leaving the classroom because they're feeling these they're feeling these deficits because like I said earlier it permeates every aspect uh, throughout the experience whether you're a student or a teacher so um, and what we're going to be doing with Cyber 360 and Christina is going to be leading that work that's the for profit side but what, we want, what we're going to be doing is creating this culturally relevant uh, which is the hot term right right now right for the last couple of years but it's going to be culturally relevant pedagogy and um, personal development personal professional development for the uh, for the institution side so it's going to be for K-12 conversations trainings uh, continual feedback that we're going to be having with schools and districts to help them become more diverse and also more inclusive and, and help them define what that looks like for that particular school leader and for that particular district, man, so they can embrace more young men and also uh, cut down their retention numbers because it's one thing to have to have open seats or open classrooms, but then it's also another to get actual black teachers in the building and how do you keep them and make them feel like assets, man. I have phone calls every week, man. I mean, every week from a black male or black woman who's leaving the classroom because of the shit that we're talking about, man. I mean, literally on a weekly basis, Larry, I don't know what to do. They don't want to leave the classroom. They don't want to leave the kids, but it's the folks and experience, the experiences. It's not the students. It's the experience they're having with the adults in the building that are running them away, not the students. So um, that's a common thread. It's, 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 it's too consistent of a narrative and antidote. So there has to be work on that side as well as the policy and institution side. Because uh, I can recruit, honestly, we're, my gift has been day one. I can do that easy. We can, I can recruit a black man. And mm. you, you, you kind of freezing a little bit, but I want to pull Sharif in before we just kind of have a free for all. And fellas, I know we're going over my bad. My apologies for not uh, managing it well enough. These these last few sessions that I've done have been like just very personal. So I would take the full brunt of that. So if folks got to leave, do what you got to do. But uh, Reef, like, so same question to you, man. I mean, you in the same field and me and you have like gone back and forth around this piece. Like I've, I've always been weary of like the campaign around like, yo, I want black men to teach and, and not because I don't think we're needed the same way about social work and what and, and, and even in, in the medical field. Right. I'm just worried. I, I, I just I just worry, man. So um, I heard Larry's answers, man, like for you, you know, how, how are you preparing folks so they ain't falling for the okie doke? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Larry hit on all of this, uh, you know, so some of this, you know, my apologies that it's a little redundant, but, you know, a big part of what Larry's talking about is building community. So no matter what, like, you know, they should feel uh, black men entering a space that is very few of them, 1.7% as, uh, you know, Ray said, you know, we say like 2% rounded up, Ray, like don't round up like that's, you know, people move, <laughs> be starting to celebrate. It's really not the, you know, not the case. So I think building community is, is one, <laughs> having, having a way where you have it, uh, this mentorship, you know, uh, and that where it's, it's kind of cross pollinated mentorship, both that in and out game that they talk about in basketball, the same thing is needed. But mentorship within the building as well as mentorship without the building to give that context. I love the idea of cohorting um, so you're not the the lone and lonely. Um, I, I think elevating their voice and their experiences. I mean, one of the things that pisses me off the most is when somebody tries to explain to me what my lived experience as a black man is. <laughs> you know, uh, they want to kind of psychoanalyze me instead of the society about like what happened in the, and the, uh, you know, the racism and other things that, that occur. I think it has to be healing spaces, you know, like I, you know, we, sometimes I, as a principal and I had uh, black men in the, in our building as, as teachers and educators, um, you'd be, sh well, you probably not shot. Nobody on this uh, podcast will be shot, but the amount of us that had actually guns pulled on us by the police 
or otherwise, <laughs> you know, and now we're teaching. Right. And have we actually healed from the trauma that we've experienced? And this is not just brothers and sisters, too. Right. But like, you know, there, there's a very particular violence that black men are often exposed to or have been exposed to. Not all of them. I don't want to, you know, stereotype folks. But um, there were multiple occasions where teachers that I worked with and supported um, had that experience. And now they're they're teaching. And hey, did you ever deal with it? Like, nah, I just brushed it off. You know, I had to keep moving, you know, kept it moving, right? Like, like how many things can you just keep on moving from? Um, you know, how often is that the case? And now we're we're in, uh, in leading other people's children and trying to do it with compartmentalizing um, just so much of our, you know, so much of our, uh, you know, experience. And then I'll say the other piece is ensuring that part of the mentorship is skill development. You know, Larry talked about personal and professional. I think that's really important, right? You know, um, one of the brothers that we spoke to, they talked about how they, uh, they, you know, they they didn't. There were so many unwritten rules. Right. And then they felt like, hey, you know what? I must have missed this part or that part. But people were just like brushing him off like, ah, he, you know, like just like he's a throwaway. Like not nah. like actually that explicit teaching that we talk about with our youth. That's also important for anybody as we continue to, to develop and grow. So and then if they have goals and it goes back to voice, like what are your goals? And then that's our job to to help support them in, in attaining those goals. So it's a lot, bro. It's a lot. <laughs> man. I, fellas, yeah. go ahead and jump yeah. in, man. I, I just wanted to, you know, yeah. Y'all yeah, gonna let y'all go ahead and jump in. I'm waiting for Christian oh, right. So, so yeah, it, the, the, the 1.7%, that number, man, that number, it, just think about that number in terms of like a hundred percent of, of teachers. You got 1.7% that identify as black male teachers, right? Like that number alone, it just troubles me so much. And I know that there's 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 like places all over the there's folks all over the country that are doing the work to try to get folks into the classroom because yeah, black males are, are, are much needed in the classroom. Shit, are we t- are we keeping it real with them? <laughs> I know that, that that's the whole point of us of, of us having this uh this this conversation. But had I known the things that I know now in terms of like coming into education. And I would have slow. I might have would have slow walked away, man, because it's it's just not a lot of cover. Uh, once you get in, it's like you got people coming at your throats and whatnot that don't look like you. But shit, the thing that we don't talk about is the people that are coming at your throats that look like you, right? And I don't think we talk about that enough, man. Uh, that, that, I think that alone has caused me more trauma than any white person coming after me is people that look like me coming after me. But we don't talk about that. Mm. I mean, I think we should because Sharif says it all the time. Sharif says it's not just about getting more black men or more black people in the classroom. It's about getting conscious black people uh, into the field, into the profession. So I think that's important to call it out all the time, just like you just did, Ray. Um, At the same time, like I'm a person who likes to look at root causes, too. I mean, when you say something like, you know, we only have, I don't know, Sharif, one of y'all help me with the statistic is 1% or 2%. However, the whatever the national percentage of black teachers and that we have the majority Seven. of black, what is it? Seven. 7%. So 1.7. 1. 7. Yeah. 1.7. No, 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 so, no, 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 black male, black teachers overall is 7%. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so, you know, like I bring it up all the time in history in 1954 and before 1954, the average black child was in the daily care of a black educator, right? The, the average, the majority, like all of our black children. And between then and now, 
that reversed itself to the point where we hand off our children every day. Mm. And we don't talk about root causes. We talk about how can we fix it? How can we get a few more black teachers into the classroom and into the system? But I think if we did a deeper dive on how did this system come to be like this, that we suddenly we used to hand our kids off every morning to a to a black educator who had years and years and years of uh, pedagogical experience, specifically with black children to a situation where we're handing them over every day to two two groups of people. One not black educators who don't have a pedagogical basis for teaching black children and, and historically marginalized children. And two, a bougie group of people who are the rare number of people of color who have a college education, who went into, into education, many of whom are afraid of the children and, and look more like their colleagues and act more like their colleagues than they do the children themselves. So we're doubly in trouble, I think, if we don't go to root causes of maybe it's going to take more than getting some, some teachers in the classroom. We need some schools. We're going to need some whole ass schools. Yes, sir. Right. To get our kids in the safe Harbor. Uh, we're going to need whole ass schools and we're going to might, let me say something that might sound uncomfortable. When you open those big ass schools, those whole ass schools that are meant to have black pedagogical practices from day one, they're going to need to select their teachers, not just on the basis of needing more black teachers. They're going to need some conscious white ones, too. They need to need to take anybody who can come in and get the job done. Right. One thing I learned from the Ocean Hill Brownsville shutdown of the schools, when the black community took over the schools in Ocean Hill, they had a whole bunch of young uh, Jewish teachers that came in and stood right ne next to the Afrocentric teachers. And they completely changed all the curriculum uh, and took over the schools. Right. So that might be something that happens in the future or something man. like that. I, man, I love that, man. I know we got to go in the final schools. thoughts, man, but this was, this has just been dope. I would just say even on this question, man, I think we should interrogate some other things. I think I want to see the research paper and I'll go, look, maybe it exists. Uh, but why are coaches on average so much more effective with black males than teachers? I, I, I really, I, well, hell. hey, I mean, they, this is the thing. They can holler at there are different, there are different <laughs> needs. There are different needs for different groups of people. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, regardless of how you feel about the military, the military take a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and and and, and got yeah. them doing and, and got them being one of the strongest militaries in the world. So all I'm saying is, is that maybe there should be pedagogical looks at what coaches in inner cities are doing with black. Like I, I love, mm -hmm. I have coaches that I am bet that I am so close with still today. Anybody that plays sports on here, raise your hand. If you play a sport and you still close to like some of them coaches, right? I still call my coach coach. You know what I'm saying? Like it's very different yeah. than, you know what I'm saying? And, and why is that? Right. And I think that we should be interrogating those type of things, man. Um, man Charles, well, I think first off, first of back, off the back, man, I don't think is uh, you think about the coaching piece. Like it's not a traditional classroom exchange mm -hmm. you know what i mean right. so you're on the court you're on the, you're on the field or you put them off to the side it's after practice you're, you're right. bringing them home or what have you that's a different conversation charles than the autonomy uh that you see or the lack lack thereof autonomy that you see from from uh teachers today man because everything's so predicated on numbers quick turnaround and data well larry you know um, you, that this, coaching you, experience and that exchange this, man. You, this is my belief, Larry. I think that we should be building schools outside of all the systems. I think we should be building black private schools that do look different, where we have some kind of assessment. You get the type of interactions that you need um, and you get exposed to different things. You know what I'm saying? I, I think we keep trying to fit into this structure that's not built for us. Just, yeah. just so you all understand yep. on the academic tip. Let me go ahead into my nerd bag like Reef did earlier about the beach. Right. 
Like if you look at, <laughs> if you, I'm sticking if, with honey is B shit too. By know, the way, but keep but going, bro. If you if you look at Brock you can't and lead Brenner, everybody to the light. You know, <laughs> if you look at Brock and Brenner's socioecological model, right? Basically, what happens is if the majority of your teachers are white and come from a certain background, and those are the people that's training teachers, right? That's it's a certain reason why middle class folks and white folks tend to do better in traditional public school systems because they're not having to switch to a new mode of communication because the way their teachers talk is how their parents talk. But if you have a people that are not germane to the area teaching your kids, your kids has to translate multiple, multiple uh, phenotypes and multiple types of communication just to comprehend. So what I mean is if Big Mama was the person that was the scheduled teacher and she's talking to a group of people from that same community, she can talk directly to them in a quicker way and can deal with those issues. If it is uh, somebody from a different place, you know what I'm saying, and in talking to those same group of kids from that same socioeconomical place, then there's so much translation that has to happen. And guess what? Teachers don't translate down to students. Students are forced to translate up to teachers, which is stupid if you are asking a first grader to translate up to college educated middle class folks. Let me get out that nerd bag. The, so let me, I know we need to I don't to think end. that's a nerd bag. No, you hit, you hit home. You hit home, Charles. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, but that's part of the stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? And like, there's research done on it. I've written on it myself, right? You know what I'm saying? So what I would say, man, I know we need to, let's let's go ahead and go into these final thoughts. Uh, as we do that, Larry, I just, I'm so, so grateful that you joined us, man. And I will start off with you around final thoughts. And Sharif, do not forget the uh, announcement that you needed to make. I wanted to help you out on that, but uh, it's on you, Larry. And then I'm gonna come to you after that, Reef. Yeah, my final thoughts is, man, let's just, you know, let's let, let's keep pushing. I don't think this work is in vain um, in any regard, um, but there definitely is a, a you know, a systematic uh, root issue um, that I think we're pushing towards. And what we have to we have to push towards because, you know, we're just seeing some of the redundant practices and approaches, I think, just not not hitting home, man. So and I just want to close out by saying thank you for having me on this platform, Charles. I would love to come back again. This felt like home from second one. Um, thank you all for having me, man. Oh, man. Thank you, brother. Pre appreciate you, man. You welcome anytime. Just let us know. Uh, Reef. No. Yeah, I, I second that, man. Larry, great. You know, really glad you're here. And, you know, just appreciate all your work, all the work you and Christina have been doing for years, um, you know, and, and just really excited about this next uh, these next steps that you're making. And, and um, you know, congratulations on that on that uh, fellowship uh, as well. Yeah. Ted fellow. Um, yeah. what, what I'd say. Uh, about this is when a while ago, you know, I wrote a, a piece, uh, kind of open letter to black men. And one of the things I talked about is like, you know, teaching uh, black children uh, well is a subversive act. And I, I basically in, invited them um, like Larry is doing, inviting them in uh, with the with the invitation of be subversive, you know, come in here, be subversive, build community push against whatever the stereotypes are about, you know, about teachers and educators and all that and, and build community within as well as without. I would say, you know, and, and that I think that mentorship is just so important. So Chris talks about the next level of it is sponsorship. Having both of those, I think, is crucial. Um, look, I listen, I, I I appreciate like all the times that folks are like, oh, yeah, you know, you're patient, you're this, you're that, you're like that. Like folks don't 
didn't start off that way. <laughs> you know, like folks, there was there are points of time like that people, you know, as you get older, that you know, you're hopefully blessed to be able to continue to kind of see where the patterns are and things like that. But I, I remember one of my mentors telling me, like, you know what, he's tr- he's trying to goad you. That white supervisor and his uh his uh the white women mafia that were in that was in the school. They're trying to goad you. They're trying to get you to do uh, something that you don't want to do or say something that you're not really uh, that you don't want to say in that particular way. Um, and, and she understood that she was able to. And this is my coach, Yvonne Savior. Right. Like she was my teacher coach, as well as later on my principal coach. And so she was able to see the landscape and say, like, nah, here's what this character is doing. Here's why he's trying to do it. And here, here's how you're going to outflank him. He thinks he's outflanking you. Here's how you outflank him. Um, and and a big part of that is community, being able to tap into, uh, you know, to the community. So I, I just think that that mentorship is is absolutely crucial um, in all different ways. And as far as like the, uh, you know, the the action item, thanks, uh, uh, Cole uh, and Josh. You know, so this one of the things that we're uh, really trying to do is make sure that the the idea of diversity, more uh, black teachers, more black men teachers uh, are is not a, a second thought or not, you know, pushed out, put, you know, kicking the can down the road. We're trying to really push uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of Education, uh, Secretary Cardona, which he has said that he agrees with, uh, you know, around teacher diversity, really compel them to, to do it now, like to prioritize um, mm-hmm. bringing more diverse teachers into the fold um, and not push it down the road, not say like, oh, once we get through this, once we get through that, they're about to give billions of dollars um, to districts. And, and the way that the federal legislation is written, uh, districts, what schools, districts can use some of these funds to help elevate the, the uh, educated workforce, which includes diversification of it. Um, mm-hmm. So making sure that people realize that, that the community is aware of that and they are pushing the, the district. So this is basically a very low lift item uh, sharing. We actually that you share it and that you sign it. And then you hold your uh, your school communities accountable for doing the same uh, and ask them, what are you doing to increase the diversity of, of my child's teachers? That is a, a fundamental uh, issue, uh, particularly for black children. There's no intervention like it. Having a, a, a dope black teacher for a black child ain't no yeah. intervention inside of schools like that. So let's get mm-hmm. on it. Good job, bro. Chris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm, uh, Go if you. I mean, if you need to, brother. No, 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 no. no. That thing was a trigger, right? <laughs> like he, he, he said he's he's reef is reef is putting out uh, reef is putting something out to get dope black teachers in, right? And the person that's coming after him was like a substandard whack ass. <laughs> so I think that he's upset. Less than average on his best day. Right. From, yes. really, from, from, from folks who, yes. who look at this them. messiness. You see this messiness? You see yeah, this? Let's, let's keep you see, yeah. you see how, yeah. how, how quick let's, Ray got you? you yo, what, with I know, man. That's what, <laughs> what they say. Like, don't kill him with kindness. Look, man, you, gotta right. the, you gotta kill him with blindness. Look, you know? Larry don't know. Nothing about what's going on. We got a guest. Larry, like, I'm about to find out. I'm calling a career. I'm calling a career. Hey, look, man. I got to look. It might not be good for old boy for old boy if you know. You feel me? But go ahead, Chris. Um. So, 
Listen, uh, we're in trouble. We need uh, every black man listening to do whatever you can as a father, a community member, an elder, uh, a mentor, a teacher. We got to redefine what we we call teachers. Right. We got to redefine what teaching means and what it is. And just because you have a degree and you're in a classroom standing before a class or whatnot, you may or may not be a teacher. Just to be very honest with you. And just because you don't have a degree and you're not in a classroom, you definitely might be a teacher. So we need to expand the cause of what we when we invite black men into uh, into this world. We need to start with that. We also need to say you're not welcome. You're not welcome here. Well, let's just be real. You are not welcome. You are a black male. You have a penis and you are black. You are not welcome here. Yet this is not. But when was the last time you needed to be welcome somewhere where you were supposed to be? Right. Like, let me just tell you a quick story. There's a village. The village is on fire. People are coming into the village and snatching up children. Do you need to be welcome to snatch them off their horses and beat the shit out of them? Do you need to be welcome to like get involved? No. Well, education is a house that's on fire. Education is a village on fire. The most precious thing to the black community is the intellect of the black child. That is the most precious resource, the most precious thing that we have. There are people in this world who want to foreclose on the black mind. There are people who are adamant about making their pensions and their lifestyles on the misery of black people. There are whole ass teachers unions that have their pensions invested in private prisons and child detention centers. You don't need to be welcomed to get involved. When was the last time you needed to be welcome to save yourself, to save your own children, to save your community or whatnot? Every single one of you listening, I don't care whether you have a college degree or not, you have a you have a role to play. You have you don't need to be welcome and you have a power that you are not using that these people haven't heard from yet. If you can't teach, you can show up to school board meetings and make sure they hear you. You can make sure that they hear you to the point where they get annoyed and they're sick of your voice and they don't want you around and they don't like the way you talk. They don't like the way you look, you stand, you lean, you walk. You need to be a problem and you need to raise problem children and you need to raise a, a problem community and get involved and teach wherever you're at. You can teach in a barber shop. You can teach in a, in a boys and girls club. You can teach in the streets. Some of y'all do already. Some of y'all teach so much in the streets where you need to go ahead and just get the credential because you're already doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's all I'm going to say right now is you're not welcome. You are black with a penis. You are not welcome here. This is not this is not for you, bro. This is not for you, except for you need to show up. And just like most things in the United States, America, uh, you don't need to be welcome to be where you need to be. Man, so, so that, that, that yo, you had me up until you said the last statement about the 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 uh. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm, I'm a, hey, let me get back to it. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm uh, yeah. So I'm gonna disavow the last statement that uh, that Christian's mentioned just now because you know <laughs> I'm not trying to get canceled because you go into that space right there talking about you know whatever you can get canceled. No, what, gonna, are you, what are you talking about? Yo, yo. So, so, so I'm one of my closing thoughts. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my closing thoughts are, are very very simple tonight. Uh, I want to shout out the. Can I get? Where's the super producer? Right. There you go, brother. <laughs> so uh, I want to I want to shout I want to give a shout out to uh, the folks that are uh, listening to us. Uh, damn, what? what I need. You. All right. For the folks that are listening to us on LinkedIn for the first time, uh, shout out to the listeners on LinkedIn. We got y'all streaming live. 
Uh, looking forward to engaging a LinkedIn community as part of our Sunday night family. Uh, secondly, uh, tomorrow night, we got Big Reef showing up again with the three woke aunties, 8 p.m. Uh, talking about whatever Reef talks about. Every time Reef talks. So, uh, <laughs> educational justice. Yeah. That. Black, black children. That. And then last, lastly, man, hey, listen, you know, this is the second week in a row. I heard my homie talk about leaving the space. Folks, if you're in these comments, please let this dude know that he is one of the most important voices in this space and that we need him to continue to oh, rock. I appreciate that, Ray. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, y'all don't need to do that, but thank you. I appreciate we ain't, let, we ain't letting him go anywhere anyway. No. You know what it's like? It's like when James Brown used to be leaving the stage and he'd, he'd put the cape on him, you know, and then he'd throw it off and he was back. <laughs> you know? That's what Charles was doing. I'm out. I'm out. You know what, I'm man? I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been thinking about leaving both healthcare and education, but not fully, but just... I got plans. Go ahead. Finish your finish your thought, Ray. Finish your final thought. Shout out to Larry. I, yo, listen, I want to see your whole face because the way you bring in this message that you bring in, you got to come back, bro. So, yo, hit Charles yes, up. Sir. Let him know if it yes, falls sir. on my week, then we bring you in on my week. It's, it doesn't matter. Yes, but sir. the importance of this conversation is so rich to where I need I need to have you back. And yes. Plus, I know people want to hear your accent. They want to hear you say, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that, bro. He didn't say that. All he didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. But Anchor, Anchor was to hear him say it. So that's yeah, right. which, is, which, is, which is a problem. You know what? I'm a, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make sure. I'm gonna make sure that Larry and Ray got each other's number, just because I think that I mean they just two good dudes, and I think y'all would actually click. So um, y'all, y'all should have your own relationship. So I'll make sure that happened. Yeah, hey, everybody, everybody. Oh, I want. Yeah, everybody. Larry, a real one, bro. Go, go ahead, Ray. I, I you know, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, I, I would just say, man, thank you again, uh, Larry. Thank you so much, bro. And I'm, I'm just so glad you got to share your story. And I'm so glad. Uh, I just appreciate the way you show up for me and how we show up for each other, bro. Like real talk, man. And um, you a soldier in this work, bro. Bro, you Larry got the WeWork Award, fam. Like, you know how hard it was to like go through that. That competition was was a real competition, bro. And he won that award because he's doing some amazing work. And I do wish I do hope you do somebody's show and really break down how you went beyond those charges to get in the education yeah. space. Because I actually think that the navigation on that is really uh, that's a yeah. really important story. Cause it's very difficult it to is. do that. Um, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And my final thought is just cause I'm getting ready for the haters on it. Right. Like, cause they, they be coming, they be listening to all our words. Right. They're going to be like, y'all, I just heard a bunch of black men uh, complaining and this, that, and the third. First off, we offered a lot of suggestions, but also, um, and they're going to say, what's about accountability? Let me just say something about accountability in my final thoughts. Right. There's a difference between accountability, to, accountability to restore versus accountability for gotchas accountability for gotchas come from people that didn't give a fuck about you anyway, that don't like you no way and is waiting for you to mess up. Accountability to restore is a part of love. It's agape love. It is it is love and saying, hey, brother, I love you. I want to see you do better. I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm going to help you restore. OK, so that's a difference between Chris or Sharif or Ray chastising their child. You know what I'm saying? And correcting their child because they want to they want them to grow versus somebody who hates you, who's always hated you and is just waiting for evidence to cancel you. All right. So, no, if you are on that other side of that, no, I don't want you in stuff. I don't I don't like seeing you have RIPs for DMX. I don't like seeing you like be super. You know what I'm saying? I just saw you being super woke yesterday. And now, you know, what I'm saying you 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 trying to psychoanalyze the death of a man that you didn't like. No way. I'm 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 emotional right now because 
I just saw that the founder of Black Lives Matter, who built this program off the death of black boys, that built this program off the death of black boys, and you got parents and family saying, yo, what's up? What's going on? What's happening? Where the bread? You got BLM leaders across the country like, what's up with the bread? And you just bought a $1.5 million home in LA. Not just one, bro. Four. Four. Four houses. Four. So, so what I'm one, saying is- One near Malibu. And what I'm saying is you built yes. something was built off a of black off of death of black young men. That's right. That you wouldn't have rocked with at all anyway when they was alive. Built a full thing on it under this guise of this amazing movement. The move I'm I'm not talking about the movement. The movement is yes. the movement. But the yes. organizational side, and then yes. you were immediately erased black, black, black men from like the from anything to having to do with it. And you want to get rid of the nuclear family. That's that's now the goal of this thing that was built off a of death of a black boy. Listen, man, mm-hmm. when you tell me over and over that the, the 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 way that I am most loved, the way that we are most appreciated is when we die, is me being dead. How you think that's supposed to like register, man? And like, listen, man, all I'm saying is this. I appreciate these brothers. Thank y'all so much for going there with me on this episode. Thank you so much for uh, let's build in this space. This is why we built the show. There's a lot of black people in education that got voices. All right. There's a lot. But a lot of them don't look and sound like this. A lot of them are not. A lot of them are trying to just join in on the white stuff and be there and then take all the good stuff that come with it. And then they become the gatekeepers of the black people that get to be in there. A lot of these people that get to those spotlights and is in those spaces are people that was alienated by black people and probably didn't feel black enough in them spaces. And so they became the black people in the room and you can't be the black person. You, when you fake an authenticity, you can only do that until authenticity shows up. So I can't have you there. I can't have Larry Irvin in the room if I'm talking tough and I'm writing articles, putting my man's name in there because something might happen. So all, so with that being said, message thank to Camden. <laughs> thank, thank hey, you. Listen, no, hey, I have, hey, I have, hey, I have hey, a truce hey. with somebody, so I don't say their name and they don't say mine. I don't have, I have no a truce here. But I have a truce, uh, Larry. I was I article, so you know what we're talking about. I'm, I didn't want to text right. it during the show. <laughs> Listen, please, all bro, I'm gonna say please. is this, man. Chris, treat with blindness, bro. Treat with blindness. Chris, Sharif, Larry, Ray. I love you, brothers. I think the work that y'all are doing That's is amazing. Awesome. I think that for as many haters as you got, you have changed lives forty fold for each one of them haters. Keep doing what you're doing. We need you doing what, we, what you're doing. And who cares who picks up this show and who don't? You know what I'm saying? Tonight, we, we spoke some truth. We represented for some people that tend to be invisible. And y'all have been listening to the Eight Black Hands. And join us next week. We out. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.